right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. It was a busy weekend. KU football had open practice on Saturday. Then on Saturday night, Chiefs had their first preseason game of the year, taking on the San Francisco 49ers, just three preseason games this year, so a little less to look at. And, you know, we got to see large takeaways from Patrick Mahomes, a whole two passes from Patrick Mahomes in the first preseason game for the Chiefs. I do want to start with KU football, though, going out to open practice. I thought there's a pretty good attendance there at Memorial Stadium. I mean, you're talking about a practice for a team who didn't win a game last year at 8 in the morning on a Saturday. And like I said, I thought there was a pretty good showing from KU fans there, which I think just further institutes the idea that there is excitement around the program right now with Lance Leipold coming in. And I hope that that excitement, you know, if if Kansas goes over under, win total is one and a half. If Kansas goes two and ten this year, I hope that excitement doesn't die down into next year. It shouldn't is basically what I'm saying. As far as what we saw, from the players on the field in the open practice, it wasn't a scrimmage. It wasn't a lot of 11-on-11. We did have a brief moment of that, but it was mostly individual drills, you know, quarterbacks throwing to different coaches and running backs doing agility drills, offensive linemen working on footwork, things like that. We did see a little bit of 7-on-7, or we did see a little bit of quarterbacks and receivers going against defensive backs in the red zone. We did see, like I said, just a little bit, maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 plays of 11 on 11. I think, first of all, the the thing that people probably are most curious about is the quarterbacks. What's going to go on there? I think there's still some work to be done at the quarterback and receiver position. For KU. Now, there's some candidates there that are intriguing. You know, you have a guy like Trevor Wilson who that dude can run. We heard this before that he was fast, but seeing him out in the open field, seeing him specifically on some special teams where he was returning punts, you get that guy the ball in the open field, he's going to make things happen. But you question is he going to be able to catch the ball well enough? Kwame Lasseter, you have your veteran senior receiver there, Luke Grimm. Picked it up as the season went on last year as the youngster. You got some good potential in guys like Stephen McBride, who's got a lot of speed. LJ Arnold has some good size. There's some intriguing pieces there, but I think there still is a bit to go for the group overall, just in terms of getting more experienced and fine-tuning their game. And the quarterbacks, I think, goes kind of in tune with that. I thought that it was a bit of a rough practice, for a couple guys at the quarterback position. And the one guy who I don't think that was the case for was Miles Kendrick. I thought Miles Kendrick didn't have like a practice that flashed where you're coming away from it saying, wow, that dude made all these Patrick Mahomes throws, these highlight throws. Like, how did he do that? It wasn't that. It was just that he wasn't making mistakes. He wasn't throwing into triple coverage. He wasn't getting intercepted. So from that standpoint and from everything that we've heard from the staff about what they want from the quarterback position, it was just one practice. And for everybody who was in attendance, myself included, other media members, fans in attendance, it's going to it's gonna give you more of a biased indication of what you think should or might or will happen because it's one of one for you to see. But in reality, for the coaches and the players – This is one practice of, gosh, I don't know, 20, 25, something like that during camp year as they get ready for the first game of the season. So for them, it's it's 
you know, still an important piece, but more of a blip on the radar. But just specifically from what I saw, I thought Miles Kendrick looked like the best quarterback, and it wasn't necessarily from Kendrick looking like Patrick Mahomes. It was just from him being competent and some other guys not necessarily doing that. By the way, Miles Fallon, walk-on quarterback, shout-out to Santa Clarita for producing another one. Uh, Miles Fallon actually looked really impressive to me, and I am all aboard the bandwagon. Miles Fallon, QB1. I mean, it won't happen. He's a walk-on, but get this guy some reps, man. Let's go. I did ask Lance Leipold after the open practice kind of about the quarterback situation. If you remember on Friday, and if you don't or if you didn't listen to it, then not nice. You should go back and listen to the podcast. But I talked about the fact that Leipold in his time at Buffalo typically used one guy. He typically, that's not the right way of putting it. He, he found the guy that the staff identified at the beginning of the year, and they pretty much stuck with him. Now, if you go back and look, there's many years where at Buffalo, you're going to see, oh, what do you mean? It looks like these guys split time statistically. The only time that really happened was because of injury. So there were some splitting of quarterback reps and plays and passes over the course of his seasons at Buffalo, but it was injury-related. If you take out the injuries, he stuck with one guy. And we talked about this on Friday. What does that mean for KU football? Because we haven't seen that stability at the quarterback position. Does that mean Lance Leipold is just going to stick with the guy? Does it just mean it's a longer leash? Or does it just mean nothing? Because this is a totally different situation. And I think the the summation I came up with on Friday was that it's not going to be that he will have to stick with the one guy he goes with in week one. Because that would be silly. What happens if whoever the quarterback is in week one through four games has two touchdowns and 12 interceptions, right? You can't just have a blanket statement of, yeah, we're going to stick with this guy no matter what. But there has to be some sort of leash there. And I think the issue that's confronted KU, because you can't put all of the quarterback issues on the coaches specifically. Some of it is player-driven. I think some of the issue is when you have quarterbacks alternating drives. When you have quarterbacks who he's in a rhythm for two straight drives and now he gets pulled. Or you have a quarterback who just had a solid performance and then he doesn't start the next game. Or he only he has one good performance, one bad performance, and then he's benched instead of getting at least that one game of a leash. That's what I think the difference is going to be with this staff. Asked Lance Leipold kind of about how you evaluate the quarterback position and getting into that moment of week one after the open practice on Saturday. That's going to be the balancing act because unless somebody clearly pulls away, you know, the, the thing is, yeah, you want somebody to kind of go through it, fight, get the confidence in that. You don't want them to sit there and think that every every throw is is, is the one that, uh, you know, impressed that they're going to be taken out. So, um, and then, then again, if you have somebody else that's, uh, um, you know, practicing and, and right on their heels, do they deserve it? So that that's kind of the, the kind of the decisions uh, we'll have to make as we progress, I guess. Yeah, and that's kind of leaving things open, but it is the idea of, you know, if this guy was clearly the quarterback that we pick at the end of this camp, then maybe we do give him a longer leash. But if there's somebody who's right on his heels, then maybe that leash is a little bit shorter. He also talked about what I asked him with the time at Buffalo and sticking with one guy and how that could work for KU this year. Jim Zabrowski and I talk. We, we both played the position. We know what it's like, and you know you have to get some things. And it, like, you said, like I just said, is if you're going to play like every throw is based on whether or not you're staying in the game or not, I, I don't know if you're ever going to keep, you know, progressing or, or the team's going to be what it really needs to be. So, um, but... You know, if there's packages that certain guys can help, we're never going to say that that's not an option as well. So that's that's the fine line there. And, and first of all, I just want to make note of that last uh, little bit there. There could be certain packages that certain guys use. That, to me, rings of a guy like Jason Bean who has all this speed who maybe you bring Jason Bean out for a couple RPO plays or read options or naked bootlegs to get him out in the open field. I don't know. I, just how I kind of surmised 
that or some other quarterback who you're going to use in certain packages. But as far as, forget like the wildcat packages or whatever, as far as who the guy is, I think there is that fine line of, like I said, there's the fine line of if we're going to have to play multiple quarterbacks, we're rotating them every series and we're having to play multiple quarterbacks, but we gave this guy a fair shot. We gave him a long enough leash. We gave him two, three, four games, whatever it took. And this other guy was on his heels and he's going to, he's going to be the guy. So I'll say what I said on Friday. Whoever gets the week one starting nod for KU is going to have an edge the rest of the season. A, he was the initial pick to be that guy. B, Lance Leipold typically sticks with the guy. C, you heard him talking about the fact that, you know, me and Jim both playing quarterback. No, you can't have that in the back of your mind that every throw is going to be the death of me. But the way he also answered it tells me that if there are those constant struggles and if we deem the quarterback competition to be close at the end of camp, where it's not just, no, this guy was hands down the best and we're going to stick with that evaluation, then while the leash is going to be longer for KU than it has been in the past, you know, maybe you take the exception of when Les Miles 2019 with Carter Stanley, because they gave a good leash to Carter Stanley. But even then, like if you watched Miles to go, I think it was the Boston College game, which they ended up obviously winning big time, and Carter Stanley kind of took off from there. I think Carter Stanley threw a pick early in the game, and there was sideline footage of, you know, we're going to give him one more drive, and then who knows after that. So even then, the leash wasn't ultra long. But that's that's the question. What is the leash going to be? You're not going to give it, like I said, a blanket coverage to say you're just going to be the starter no matter what. But I think, again, looking at that pass with Lance Leipold, looking at what he just said there, there's definitely a possibility you see another quarterback at some point if the first guy struggles. But they also want to give him a long enough leash that he doesn't have to worry about it, that he's not worrying about every throw. And so, to me, you probably look at whoever the week one starter is, I find it hard to believe that they're not going to stay the starter at least through three or four games. So I kind of do stick with, you know, if I was to give the over-under for QB starters this year for KU, if you delete injury or COVID, I still think I'd set it at maybe one and a half. Maybe that's maybe too low. Now, as far as the other positions that we saw in the open practice, tough to tell much about the offensive and defensive line, given what we saw, that it wasn't a lot of the 11-on-11, and you also take into account what Lance Leipold has said multiple times. And I think this goes for the receivers and DBs as well. Does this mean one unit's good? Does it mean the other unit's bad? They're both good. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell when you're going against each other. I'm starting to wonder, though, if the defensive line can be one of the more solid units on this team. Malcolm Lee made a really nice play in one of the 11-on-11s, just absolutely sat down. Bryce Cable do the right tackle. Kyron Johnson, he's been a guy we've talked to a lot and heard a lot from coaches. I mean, he runs like a sub 4-4 as a defensive end. Could be a good pass rusher. Steven Parker was your former four-star recruit. You have guys like Ronald McGee, Eddie Wilson, who could factor in Caleb Sampson. It's weird because you lost a good amount. Even a guy like Caleb Taylor has some talent. You lost a good amount like Marcus Harris and DeJon Terry in the transfer portal, who were likely to be starters for you this year, if not stars of that defensive line. But that might end up being a pretty solid unit overall. And the offensive line, tough to tell. Like I said, I was really impressed with the defensive backs. I As uh, some of the young guys, I thought, stepped up. Um, I think you feel confident with Kenny Logan in the secondary. I really liked what I saw from O.J. Burrows. He was just an interception machine in that game. Just a freshman. Who knows if he gets a role? I would think he's going to get a role in some way. You know, it might not be a starting safety, but you put him in as a nickelback when you're in passing situations and you're bringing an extra DB on the field. Even if he does usurp one of the starters, it wouldn't surprise me. Yes, he's a smaller guy, but just play the best ball players. Uh, 
thought that Jacoby Bryant looked good. Jonquay Lewis. Jonquay Lewis and Jacoby Bryant, those are both freshmen. And that's what's crazy here. O.J. Burroughs, Jonquay Lewis, Jacoby Bryant, those are all freshmen. And those were the three DBs that I came away from thinking, wow, those guys are really good. Now, Kenny Logan already thought highly of him. But I think you feel pretty solid about the secondary right now. And there is a bit of worry for me that I wasn't ultra impressed with the receivers right now. I think, like I said, there is some potential there. How much of the DBs doing well had to do with you do have questions at quarterback and receiver this season and that'll be the ultimate question we always do talk about the fact that you know the big 12 is this high-flying offensive conference and it is quietly there are actually a lot of good running offenses in the league like Oklahoma that's kind of the staple of their offense that counter run game Texas you have Bajan Robinson Iowa State runs the ball a good amount Brees uh Brees Hall Deuce Vaughn at Kansas, like you have really good running games. So it's not, I think, the same as maybe the Big 12 of 10 years ago where everybody's running the air raid and everybody's throwing it 50, 60 times a game. So maybe they won't be tested as much and you do worry about the inexperience, but I do really love the potential of that secondary right now for KU. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Chiefs had their first preseason game. Took down the 49ers 19 to 16. Let's talk about it on the other side. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Coming up in 15 minutes from right now, David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us. Talking Royals, it was another rough weekend for Kansas City. They got swept by the St. Louis Cardinals. Chris Bubich struggled. Really, all the pitchers. Brad Keller was fine. And now you have the Houston Astros coming to town, which you can hear that one right here tonight on KLWN. 7-10, first pitch, 6-30 is when pregame starts. The Chiefs won their first preseason game, taking down the San Francisco 49ers 19-16. Shane Bouchelle, the hero of all heroes, rushing in the game-winning touchdown for the Chiefs. I mean, it always feels better to win than to lose, even if it is preseason. Offensive line, I thought, looked really solid in the game. That was my the thing I was circling most. I think a lot of people were like that because when you invest that much into the offensive line, whether it's money, whether it's trade, whether it's draft pick capital, you want to see what it looks like, right? And it's a little different with offensive lines. It's not the shiny new toy at receiver or quarterback or at running back. But I thought they acquitted themselves well. Take it with a grain of salt. 49ers rested Nick Bosa, D. Ford, and Eric Armstead. That's their three best pass rushers. So it's not a completely real look. But I think that just, you know, if you would have had a bad performance from the offensive line and they were resting those guys, then what would we be talking about? So at that point, you're basically like, no, you better perform well, and they did. Tip of the cap for that. And it is going to continue to take more time for this offensive line to gel together to gain chemistry so that the position that needs the most of that grooming to come together so the fact that you didn't really see those hurdles in the first preseason game albeit against some backup defensive linemen was obviously a huge positive for the team the big 10-yard run on the first play that was obviously the standout And I think most importantly, he kept Patrick Mahomes upright. Mahomes was out there for a very limited time. What, three plays or four plays, five plays? Threw two passes. One of them was dropped by McCole Hardman. Trey Smith was really the big standout on the line. Looks to continue to be more and more of a steal that the Chiefs got him in the sixth round. And Josh Klingler last week, we, we talked to him and He mentioned how important it was to have players like that who are these young players on cheap deals because the more that your cap's going to get taken up with the large contract of Patrick Mahomes and other weapons around him, you have to find cheap talent to go around him, and Trey Smith is exactly that guy. So the offensive line, thought they acquitted themselves well. Defensive line, I thought was strong as well. Like Honestly, the trenches were probably the two most impressive things for the Chiefs in that week one game. Chris Jones had a sack with the starters, and that was kind of interesting because he was playing his defensive end spot, which he's moving out to right now for most of the game. He got his sack 
when Trey Lance was in the game and he had been moved in back to his kind of inside defensive tackle role that he had been used to playing with the Chiefs. I think that probably gives you a good idea of how the Chiefs plan on using him moving forward. First and second down, or I guess third, and even if it's third and short, where maybe everything from the playbook is on the table, he's playing that defensive end role. But when you're going to be in a passing situation, which that was, where you're in third and long, and there's a very, very good chance that the other team is going to be passing, you just want to get your four best pass rushers on the field. Having a run-clogging defensive tackle isn't as important. So then you take out a guy like Derek Nottie all of a sudden. You move Chris Jones back to defensive tackle next to whoever you want. Jaron Reed, Frank Clark, Alex Okafer, whoever on that defensive line, just your best four pass rushers, and go out and get them. And I think that's going to be kind of the versatile role that Chris Jones plays. Third and long, he's back to his disruptive defensive tackle. First and second down, you have him in at defensive end. He is going to be playing all around that defensive line. And I think that gave you a good indication. And I don't think uh, any issues with how the first game for Chris Jones went in the transition to defensive end. But it wasn't just about Chris Jones. I think you're starting to see real depth, specifically at the interior defensive line spot. But I think overall, the D-line showed itself nicely in that first preseason game. Tershawn Wharton had a strip sack. Kalen Saunders was really good for the Chiefs. You know what you have in Derek Naughty, been a solid player for this defensive line for a couple years. You know what you have, I mean, theoretically, in, in Jaron Reed, a guy who could be near double-digit sacks from the defensive line spot based on what his, he did in Seattle the last couple years. And if you want Chris Jones to stick at defensive end, then you do have to have production from the D tackles. Again, it's fine on third and seven, third and ten for Jones to move back into defensive tackle. But on those other downs, if you are going to continue to play Jones at the end, you have to have other players step up at defensive tackle. And that looks to be like a really solid rotation, right? I mean, Jaron Reed, a guy who has shown the potential to get you around double digit sacks, Derek Naughty, Deshaun Wharton, Kalen Saunders. You're set on your two deep, on your interior defensive line. And that just allows you to be more versatile with Chris Jones. That allows you to rotate guys in, keep guys fresh. That allows you to maybe weather an injury or two. And then at if you're just looking at, at defensive line as a whole, yes, there is going to be a big emphasis on getting Frank Clark to be the guy that we've seen kind of in the playoffs more so than what we've seen in the regular season. And Alex Okafer, he's more of kind of a depth complementary piece than anything. But if you can develop even more beyond that as well with the interior guys that you already have, like Tim Ward, a second-year player, 24-year-old from Old Dominion, he had two sacks in the game. You know, all of a sudden, if you get a breakout camp guy as a defensive end to add even more depth to this line, all of a sudden now it is a strength of that unit. And if you're just looking at trying to be an average defense, which is kind of the goal, I doubt if you ask any of the defensive players or if you ask Steve Spagnuolo, like, hey, what's the goal here? Just be like, well, if we can just be average because the offense is so good, if we're just average, that's all we need to win a Super Bowl. And they're not going to say that, but that's kind of the truth. Two years ago, they were an average defense. You had the offense. You won the Super Bowl. Last year, you were about an average defense. You went to the Super Bowl. Three years ago, you lose an AFC championship game, even with a bottom third defense in the NFL. So just be average. If the linebackers, because that's been one of the bottom units in the NFL, the linebacking core for the Chiefs, but now you have Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. And it was a little unfortunate that you didn't get to see Willie Gay in this game. Obviously he had the concussion during camp and he had been humming along during camp. Nothing you can do till he's healthy, but sounds like he was back at it. And I would assume that means we could see him in week two of the preseason. The way that's been going, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being the team's best linebacker. So if you can just go from being one of the worst units linebacking-wise to below average, and then if your secondary can just be average, and your defensive line can be above average to offset the linebackers, boom, you're at an average defense. And I think the defensive line has the potential to be a top quarter unit in the NFL. 
But based on production last year, it was far from that, even though you had the names. So it was good to see some of the defensive line prowess in that game. As far as questions, I think the secondary at times was shaky. It depends who you're looking at. That's part of the preseason, too. You almost have to evaluate it based on individual players because not everybody who's playing in the game is going to be on the roster. So, like, on one hand, DeAndre Baker performed really well. He was targeted six times, gave up zero completions, and that is huge because the Chiefs need that guys to emerge at corner when you lose Bashad Breland. Mike Hughes, I thought, played a nice game, and he was more of playing a nice game because he did multiple things, returning punts and so forth. But there were times when the secondary got beat and – it probably looks worse statistically had the 49ers caught a couple of the passes the Trey Lance threw that were dropped. You have the long ball that you got burned on. That wasn't great. So kind of a mixed bag from the secondary. But overall, though, I mean, it's a successful first preseason game. Not just because performance you won. I mean, that's honestly maybe not even like a top five thing to come out of that game. But mostly because the top players stayed healthy. And I think you showed some potential at positions like defensive line that make you feel a little bit better maybe about the defense and guys like DeAndre Baker to make you feel like, hey, maybe we can find that other corner now that Bashad Breeland's gone. FM 1017-1320-KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us next to talk Royals baseball. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us now on RCST. So, David, I guess, what do you make of the bad weekend that was for the Royals against the Cardinals? Do we just throw it away? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I think that's what everybody wants to do. I, I, don't, I don't know that you can glean anything from it. Um, I think it was truly... Uh, mediocre team beats. I don't think the Royals are terrible. Um, I was going to say bad team. I don't think they're selling. They're that bad. They're just not good. Um, mediocre team beats team. They're better than. <laughs> I guess is 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 the the headline from the weekend. And just it just was not competitive baseball in any way. Um, I guess I guess Friday and Saturday was okay. Early minor had a no hitter through three and a third. Brad Keller Royals had a lead after four. Um, so there are your highlights. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the weekend. Uh, the good news, like I said, next four games come against the hard-hitting Houston Astros. I guess give us the most optimistic reason to want to tune into this series. Um, well, I, I think it's, it's pretty easy to look at the first three games at least and say, I want to see how Carlos Hernandez, Daniel Lynch, and Brady Singer fare against the, probably the best offense in baseball. Um by by a ton of different metrics, the Astros are the best. And if they're not the best, they're top three. So, um, you know, the White Sox are a challenge, but the Royals see them a lot, which kind of makes them, in some ways, more of a challenge, in some ways, less. Um, the Yankees were sort of a challenge, but they were missing some players. The Astros are the biggest challenge these young pitchers will face in the big leagues this season, and um, they we get to see all but Bubich of the young pitchers in this rotation. I guess unless you want to count Keller as one of the young pitchers, um, but we get to see all three three of the four other than Keller. <laughs> and um, that, that I I think look they may get their brain, their brains beat in. It, it's certainly possible that the Astros will just eat them for lunch. But at the same time, you know it, it, it's an experience. It's good experience to see, and um, you know that that's. That's entertaining in some ways uh, until they until their brains do get beaten in. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's 
that that's worth tuning in for. And and the flip side of it is the Royals have weirdly risen to the occasion against certain opponents. I mean, they're they're actually fourteen and twelve against division winners, or division leaders this season, which is surprising. And a lot of that is eight and eight against the White Sox, and then they're four and zero against the Brewers. But um, they they've played well against teams you wouldn't expect them to play well against. So I'm not expecting very much, but. I mean, they have shown they can beat good teams, so there's that at least. Talking with David Lesky inside the crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. In regards to Dayton Moore thinking they can contend in 2022, the Royals are now in last place of the division. Is there a path to being a playoff contender as soon as next season? Yeah. I mean, there's always a path. I mean, there's free agency, there's trades, there's all that. But, I mean, even internally, there's a path. Is there it's a realistic I path, I guess? Um, well, I, I, no, probably not truly realistic. Um, but I think that there is – look, if you want to say that Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado come up next year and hit the ground running, well, all of a sudden the offense looks pretty okay. Um, they'll probably sign somebody uh, to play center field, I would guess. I don't – if it's Michael A. Taylor, then – no, the offense probably isn't okay with just those two. But if if, it, if they go out and they, they make a splash and they sign Starling Marte, okay, yeah, I, I, I could buy that. Um, so I think that that's part of it. You know, Lynch, Hernandez, Bubich, Singer, Coar, all these guys taking a step forward. It, it's possible. And, and I don't I, – I wouldn't say it's realistic by any stretch, but I think that if you want to dream, you can see the pieces of a good winning team um, right in right in the backyard, basically. I, like I said I wouldn't predict it um, because it's just as I wrote about I don't know a couple weeks ago now, three weeks ago, whatever it was. It, it's just very difficult to build a team based on hope and hope alone, um, and that's that's what it would be, honestly. But at the same time, they have very talented players. I mean, Baseball America farm system rankings came out today. Royals are ranked third, and and they have six top 100 prospects and. I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head, but I believe all but one of them, that's Asa Lacey, are in AAA. So, I mean, that's or, – or above. I think Daniel Lynch is on that list too. Um, so it, it's, it's a bunch of really close talent on top of being good talent. And if you want to dream, that is how they could be competitive next season. Like I said, I'm not predicting it, but it's possible. Well, how much do you think they're going to be willing to spend in the offseason for next year? You know, right now it looks like they're going to have about if they want to get to the current play, the, the the season opening payroll level about eighty five million, they will probably have about twenty five ish million to spend. I I had heard before this past season they were willing to go up to one hundred ten hundred fifteen. So if they are willing to do that again, you're you're looking at I mean fifty to fifty five million available to spend. So. They they could make a splash. I don't know if they will. Um, you know, at this point, it's it's kind of hard to see. I, I think that I, I truly believe that Dayton Moore's job is not especially safe. Um, I think that it, it's not just winning in 2022 that has to happen. I think it's winning with the talent and putting that they have on the way and putting it all together and everything. Um, and, and I and I think that. The ownership group will allow him to spend that money, but at the same time, you know, when you have your doubts about somebody as an owner, it might be hard to, to to sign that check. It might be hard to give him that money for player X, player Y, whatever, whoever it might be. So I don't know if they will, but based on what I'd heard from last offseason, based on what the payroll looks like moving forward, they should have some money if they're willing to get up there with Dayton Moore in charge. Well, I guess. Given everything that we've talked about with Dayton Moore and 2022 being the last ride potentially, is is that smart to go into a season where you'd basically be saying, hey, you're on your last leg to where if you get to the deadline again, certainly there would be motivations for Dayton Moore at the deadline next year, even if they're out of it, to say, no, I need to win to keep my job, even if it's just getting to 78 wins or something like that. Wouldn't you just be better off cutting ties this off season at that point? Yeah, that, that's what's concerning. Um, I mean, you always wonder, okay, if if a guy's got a year to prove it, is he going to take away from the future to, to keep his job? 
And I think that's a fair fair question. Personally, if I'm running a team and I'm thinking I'm not sure if this guy is the guy for the job, then he's not the guy for the job. You know, it's, it's one of those situations that if you have to think about it, you know the answer. And, uh, you know, I, I think to the credit of Dayton Moore, I will say that I don't believe he would do something detrimental to the team to save his job. Um, I think that for all of it, and so, some, of, some of this is part of why he has failed as a general manager at times. I think his virtue will stop him from doing that. <laughs> I think that it's probably been a hindrance at times, um, given the connections he makes with the individuals, which is not – it's so weird in baseball because Dayton Moore and the way he connects with the players and the way he connects with, with, front, with coaching staff and all that, it's it's a really good thing as a human, but it's a really not so great thing as a baseball executive. And I, I do think that he, I think that he will not take advantage of the opportunity he's given to try to save himself. Um, and part of that is because I think he really believes in his own process, which that's a, that's an issue that we can talk about. But um, I, I just don't think he would do that. But yeah, I, if it was me and I was thinking about it it would be done because if I'm thinking about it, I've already decided, but no, that's not the way it's, that's not the way it sounds like it's going to work. Talking with David Lasky inside the crown, you know, on RCST. Okay. More likely to appear in the final month and a half of the season for the Royals, Adalberto Mondesi, Bobby Witt Jr. Or Nick Prado. Uh, you should have thrown it there. Boy, I, I, I think, uh, I think it's Mondesi. Um, but I don't have any confidence in that, like literally zero confidence because I, it, I keep thinking about the way they're going to, if they're going to bring up wit and or Prado and with the rosters only expanding to 28, it just makes it so difficult. Um, when, when they're going to want to add, I think either Matheny or Dayton said the other day, it'll probably be a catcher and a pitcher. Um, and so I don't know. It's going to be hard to get them up there. And so I, I, the question with Mondesi that I have, and I wrote this today, is this an issue that's going to take three or four days, this new issue, and then he can get back out there and they just want to reset his rehab time? Because you only get 20 days. So and he'd, he'd already used seven or eight of them, and you just want to have the full time. Or is this a three- or four-week issue? And if it's a three- or four-week issue, then I think wit is the answer. If it's a three- or four-day issue, then I think Mondesi is the answer. I know you talked about this in your weekend recap with Mondesi and, and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of fans who have been out there talking about the fact that, hey, we need to get rid of him. Um, there would probably not be that big of a trade market, certainly not compared to what his value should be based on just performance when he is on the field. But given that we did see a guy like Byron Buxton kind of being shopped around at the trade deadline and then he didn't get traded, is that maybe more indication in your eyes that you think there wouldn't be value there? Or do you think given Buxton's kind of blow up this year, that that could be a similar path for Mondesi? I mean, is there anything to take away from that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's obvious that the twins didn't get any offer they wanted. Um, you know, the, the problem with, with trading Mondesi, as you said, you're, you're trading at the bottom of his value. And it's, I mean, it's not especially even close to the next highest point. Um, it, it's just, it, it's very difficult to move a guy who's played 10 games who has the upside that Mondesi does. And, you know, if we were talking about a guy who, well, he's going to make $12 million next year, you go, oh, yeah, think about it. But he's not. I mean, he made, I think it was $2.5 this year. I, I can't imagine <laughs> there, there's a big arbitration payday for Mondesi on the way. Um, 10 games doesn't typically do that. I mean, he's a starting pitcher wouldn't get it for 10 games. So an everyday player at 10 games is probably not getting very much money. So, yeah, he's going to make 3 million next year, which is a lot to you and me, or at least me. I don't know about you, but (laughs) um, it's uh, not, not a lot to a baseball team. So I, it's just one of those things that you deal with it. And and yeah, I think the Buxton conversation, it, it, it mirrors Mondesi quite a bit. Um, Obviously, they couldn't get an extension done with Buxton, and I don't think the Royals would. I don't know that there's a number that would make sense for both sides with Buxton or Mondesi, um, but it was pretty obvious that the Twins didn't didn't get the value they wanted, and so they're going to roll with him next season. Um, or maybe if he comes back this year, I'm not sure what 
I'm not sure if he's gotten hurt again, just like Mondesi. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a it's a really bad situation to be in for both the player and the team. And which kind of goes to my point, he's not trying to get hurt. People people seem to be ragging on him because oh, he doesn't want to play. The guy wants to play. He's costing himself literally millions of dollars, and you know, it's it's um it's just a bad situation all around. Uh, by the way, yeah, uh, that's that's pocket change to anybody in the radio business. Obviously knows, sure, yeah, sure. obviously. Uh, talking about David Lesky for a few more minutes here, uh, of Inside the Crown. Given all the injuries with Adalberto Mondesi and the fact that the Royals do actually have solid organizational depth at the middle infield spot, whether it's guys currently up or guys like Bobby Witt coming up eventually, is there maybe reason to? see what he can do for you as just a designated hitter to just try to limit as much injury risk as possible, similar to what the Yankees have done with, like, Giancarlo Stanton? Yeah, it, it it's possible. Um, but then you get into – I mean, the Royals roster moving forward is this puzzle that every time you think you've filled in a spot, it opens up a new spot or it adds another piece, um, which, as I said before, it's a good problem to have. But, yeah, you can put Mondesi at DH, but then what happens with, you know, Carlos Santana and Nick Prado next season? Or MJ Melendez and Salvador Perez? I mean, or where, where do you play Hunter Dozier, who has been hitting much better lately? Not not what you'd want still, but he's been much better over the last month or so. Um, and and you know, the way this roster is shaping up, next season's tough because of the Santana deal and all that with Nick Prado whenever he does come up. But... Um, moving forward, I think you want to see a little bit more flexibility to be able to put some guys there as rest days like a lot of teams do. And, and you know, if Montesi is bad as what we really saw over the last month of last season and the, and the 10 games he's played this year, then, yeah, that's fine. You can do it. But the other thing about Montesi, he provides such great defensive value that <laughs> you wonder, too, well, is 110 games of Montesi at playing defense and hitting better than 150 games of him hitting? I, I, and I don't know the answer. Um, it's, it's a tough question. And I, I, I think I think what you're more likely to see than DH is trying him in the outfield. Um, but I don't think you'll see that until the offseason when he has a chance to work on it, um, just repeated repetitions. But, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. came back yesterday and played right field. So, you know, that there is there is new precedent for that. But it's... It's just, it's a situation, you know, it's one of those situations that is, is just really, you know, there's no right answer and there, there may not be a wrong answer either. Honestly, it's just that they, they have to figure something out, whatever that formula is, if they can crack it, they're, they're going to benefit from it. If they can't, then they won't. Okay. Let's end on some positive stuff here because it's a lot of negative stuff here and it's not, not necessarily our fault. We're just, we're just going with the content that that's being given to us here. Um, <laughs> Right. Royals pitchers Daniel Lynch, Carlos Hernandez, Brad Keller have all pitched pretty well over the last uh, two months or so, month and a half, whenever Lynch came up and, and Hernandez started starting. If you had to say who the best pitcher of this team is, who would that be? Who right now? Hypothetically, uh, Royals get vaulted into the wild card game. Who's starting? Okay. I mean, right now it's probably Carlos Hernandez, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, the, look, you can, it's between Hernandez and Lynch, which is a great, great conversation to be having. Um, Hernandez, though, this stuff is there. He's got five pitches. Um, he's only walked four guys in his last three starts, which is, that's, that's the thing with him. If he's limiting walks, he's getting out. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And, and so, yeah, I mean, right now he's the guy. Um, but Daniel Lynch has been impressed. Look, Brad Keller. He was really good, I thought, on, what was it, Saturday night that he pitched? He was really good on Saturday. And, I mean, even Chris Bobich had been good before uh, before yesterday. You know, so they, they've gotten some really, really encouraging outings from their 25 and under pitchers. I guess Teller's 26 now. Um, and then Brady Singer has been on the team, which is um, good for him for making, back, making it back to the big league <laughs> roster. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> Do you think there's any chance we get to see Jackson Coar come back up similar to what happened with Daniel Lynch? I would hope so. Um, I, I think it's a wasted opportunity if he doesn't throw more big league pitches this season. But uh, and, you know, maybe he's that pitcher. Maybe he's the guy who does come back. Um, the other name to think about, we haven't mentioned him in months, weeks, I don't know. Um, Ronald Bolaños, 
is on a rehab assignment. He looked really, really, really good in a couple outings before he got hurt. And so if he can come back this year, that, that's another guy to, to add to the equation. Not Probably not as a starter, um, but it's another young arm who he, he showed some real promise in a couple outings before he got hurt. So, yeah, I would, I would love to see Coar Bolaños back. Um, they, they've got some options, which is definitely a good thing. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work at Inside the Crown. David, thank you so much for the time, as always, and talk to you next Monday, hopefully with a little more wins under the belt over the last week. Eh, be hard not to, right? <laughs> that is that is for sure. But, again, four games set against the Astros doesn't, doesn't necessarily help. All right, here's David Lesky. Thanks again for the time, man. Yep, thanks, Derek. FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. Depend on it. Football is so back. We had open practice for KU football on Saturday. We had the NFL returning with preseason football. I know technically it returned a week prior with the Hall of Fame game, but we had a full slate of preseason games this weekend, including the Chiefs game. We got to see the debuts of a bunch of rookie quarterbacks, some year two quarterbacks. Usually uh, the preseason hype, excitement, besides like your own team, the only thing you really care about is just like how – these rookie quarterbacks are doing like that's the most interesting thing like it's one thing for Chiefs fans to be like man I'm really curious to see if Nick Bolton is going to be a a starter or a backup but if you were to say hey are you interested in this linebacker competition on the 49ers you just be like yeah probably not like maybe you're interested from a fantasy perspective if you're into that in like running back shares and how many snaps receivers are playing but overall pretty much it's just you're focused on your team and maybe some of those young rookie quarterbacks. But it is a Monday, and we got to get back into regular season shape. You know, we, just like the NFL players, need those preseason reps to get things going. So let's start up now, get ready so we can be ready to roll once we get into the actual regular season of the NFL this year. Our week one of the preseason NFL Monday overreactions. First overreaction. This quarterback draft class, I'm already ready to say, is going to be fantastic. Now, if you want me to say, oh, it's going to be the best quarterback class since this, this, or that, and it's all dependent on how you look on it, right? Like, if you look at the year Patrick Mahomes was taken, it's tough because do you say, well, the class can be better than that because maybe you'll have more guys, even though Mahomes is going to be better than anybody in this class. I mean, most likely it be very dumb to say somebody will be better just because that means you have to be the best quarterback in the NFL that leaves you a very small margin for error. But this quarterback draft class has all the makings of one of those classes where, you know, you think back to, uh, was that 05, 06, 07, when you had Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, those are three guys who very well could get into the Hall of Fame. Trey Lance was... I don't know. He was pretty eye-popping in the game against the Chiefs for the 49ers. And if you look at the stats at the end of the day, you go, yeah, he went went 5 of of 14. How good was he? I don't think the stats looked as great as he did. I'll be honest. I saw the stats after the game, but just like watching him through the process, I thought he acquitted himself very well. In watching the game, I was like, oh, wow, they they have something here. But then again, you look at the stats of the 5 of 14, you go, eh, do they? He had the long ball TD on the scramble. That was obviously the big highlight. And that's one of those plays that, you know, you see from a Patrick Mahomes. Plays that Jimmy Garoppolo cannot make. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be more advanced than Trey Lance in maybe a few different regards because of the fact that he's a veteran. He's been around this playbook longer, longer, and Trey Lance is still learning on the job. He's only started, I don't know what, 13 games. I don't know how many he started at at North Dakota State and college and beyond. So just from an experience level, Garoppolo's had him beat there. But that is not in the repertoire of Trey Lance. And that's what makes it so enticing because the potential is obviously way higher for a guy like Trey Lance that once he does get that experience, once he does master the playbook and, and all those other things, if he can be that guy, you have a huge upgrade at quarterback. And we know with the 49ers... They've got a really good roster around the quarterback. They've got a really good coach for calling plays offensively. Is that the missing piece? I don't know. Maybe. They took a pretty big step back last year, but a lot of that was injury. But again, the 5-14, he had a few other strong throws that just got dropped. He ended up with three drops in the game. So if you get those three drops, all of a sudden you're 8-14. He took four sacks, which 
sacks are not just an offensive line stat. It is a quarterback stat. Sometimes you take stat sacks that are the quarterback's fault. You held the ball too long. Sometimes they are on the offensive line. So he didn't have the greatest support necessarily with the th three drops and the sacks. But maybe some of the sacks were his fault. Uh, given the offense he's with and his potential, I think they really do have something there. And I don't know when he'll be the starter. Like, among all the rookie quarterbacks who are behind a veteran. So I think that would probably take away Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I feel like those guys are pretty much for sure the starter. But when you look at, like, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, all three of those guys are contending with a veteran. Justin Fields with Andy Dalton, Trey Lance with Jimmy Garoppolo, Mac Jones with Cam Newton. Of all the veterans they're competing with, Trey Lance probably has the toughest competition because I think Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the best quarterback of those incumbent starters returning. It's definitely not Andy Dalton. If you want to argue Cam Newton, you can. Now, last year, you wouldn't have much argument to stand on because it was a really bad year for Cam Newton. Some of that was situational. That makes it a little tougher, but I do think he's going to start at some point, and I was really impressed with him. Then you had Justin Fields, and he might have had the biggest highlight performance of all the rookies. I think the combination of being in a big market in Chicago, being on a team who historically hasn't always had very good quarterbacks, being on a team who, like I just mentioned, Andy Dalton is the quarterback, so it seems more obvious that Justin Fields should be the guy. Being on a team who has been solid, the last couple years. I mean, you were a playoff team last year, even though you were just eight and eight. Went what, twelve and four, two, three years ago? You combine all that together, and you have the nature of Justin Fields was a household name from college football, who was a guy who everybody was kind of standing on tables that, oh, he needs to be picked here in the draft. He needs to be picked here, and he slides a little bit. When you combine all that together, it's a very interesting story. So he got a lot of hype, but he also might have had the best performance of the rookie quarterbacks. First three drives didn't start that way. He three and outed on all three of them. But then he got rolling, and he ended up 14 of 20, 142 yards, a touchdown, 33 rushing yards on top of it, another score there. He was really good. And it's very, very hard to say that Andy Dalton should be the guy over him. Now, how much of his successes were correlated to playing further into the depth chart on the opposing defense? He did a lot of his work in the third quarter. You're playing the, what, second, third, fourth strings? It's a fair question, but he definitely passed the first test. And I would imagine now in the second preseason game, maybe he'll get a little bit more looks against the first or second team defense. And if he does well again, then maybe by week three of the preseason, now all of a sudden you're taking that next step up where it is more of a 50-50 bet between you and Andy Dalton. Listen, there's no question to me. It Come on, it's Andy Dalton. Justin Fields is going to start at some point this year for the Bears. The question I have is if he continues to play like that in the preseason, how can you justify starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields? Trevor Lawrence looked the part of being the number one pick. Didn't really show any negatives. He wasn't. I would say electric, but he did his job. And everyone obviously is still super high on him. He did take two sacks. One of them was probably his fault for holding the ball too long. But overall, solid performance for Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson, kind of the same way. Six of nine, 63 yards, had a big third and long throw. Didn't do anything to disappoint. Solid work. Mac Jones was probably the weakest of the bunch, which everybody was kind of expecting that to be the case. But just kind of played the role of check down Charlie. Like, not a lot of yards per attempt for Mac Jones, but he wasn't bad, so I guess that's a positive thing. And overall, again, you know, if if one of these quarterbacks ends up being, like, a top-five guy and another guy ends up being, you know, really good, like that perennial, I don't know, like, Pro Bowl, like, hey, I got into the Pro Bowl because Tom Brady's not playing in it because he's going to another Super Bowl, right? And then another guy is, like, fringe top 10 quarterback that's a really good draft class overall and I think you have the potential to do that right like Trevor Lawrence hypothetically in a couple years could be a top five quarterback Justin Fields Zach Wilson Trey Lance two of those guys could end up both being top 10 quarterbacks as well and it comes kind of at an interesting time because the league with the retirement of Philip Rivers Ben Roethlisberger getting older and not performing as well pretty soon Tom Brady will be out of the NFL due to retirement Eli Manning retired a couple years ago it's starting to thin out in the NFL with quarterback just in terms of the depth of how many good ones there are. You go back a couple of years, 
you might be arguing like, no, man, like, I don't even know if this good quarterback is a top 10 quarterback. Like, he might be 11th or 12th. And right now, like Mike Sando for The Athletic every year, he talks to different executives and people close to the game and gets them to, like, anonymously vote on this tier system for NFL quarterbacks. And right now, like, the seventh best quarterback in those rankings were Matthew Stafford. And I'm I'm, I'm high on Matthew Stafford. I think he'll have a really good year in with the Rams. But that's kind of how thinned out we've gotten to the quarterback position that Matt Stafford is now seen as being the seventh best quarterback in the NFL. So this comes at a good time for the NFL that this overall quarterback class could be really good. And yeah, that Monday overreaction is that I think it is going to be an amazing class. Monday overreaction number two. These next two will be Chiefs ones. McCole Hardman won't make the jump to being a secure receiver number two for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it's going to be kind of a rotation. You're going to see certain times where it's Hardman, where it's Demarcus Robinson, where it's Byron Pringle for that number two receiver role. I mean, it was it was a really limited sample of seeing Hardman on Saturday. He had the key third down drop on the first drive, and it might have been like, I don't know, slightly tipped on, on the pass, but probably one that he should have come up with. In total, Hardman played five snaps with the first-team offense. By comparison, Marcus Robinson played 10. Byron Pringle played four. Now, that's counting the first-team offense as everybody besides Mahomes because Mahomes only played the first drive, only threw two passes. But then they brought in Chad Henney, and Henney played a couple drives with everybody else who was on the first-team offense. So as part of that, again... He only got five snaps. Demarcus Robinson doubled him. He was about in line with Byron Pringle. And if you just look at when the Chiefs played two wide receiver sets, he played zero snaps. In three wide receiver sets is when he got all of his sets or snaps. Now, it's the Chiefs, right? Like, certainly with Patrick Mahomes, with the speed they have with the hard men and all these receivers, they're going to use a lot of three wide receiver sets. So he's going to get playing time. But the idea of the Chiefs drafting Noah Gray... The idea of a guy like Jody Fortson being like this breakout camp player, the idea of signing on Blake Bell, probably indicates to me the Chiefs want to use, even if it's not as much as the three receiver sets, they want to use a good amount of two to three tight end sets. And if you use two to three tight end sets, that comes at the behest of having a third wide receiver on the field. Which me either that or... You know, if you're using two tight ends, you either don't have a running back or you don't have a third receiver. So if you're not using three receivers in a given formation and McCole Hardman wasn't getting any snaps in two receiver sets, then he's not playing much. I think he will get some time in the two wide receiver sets, but it is good to note that, yes, Demarcus Robinson might even be ahead of him in that regard. And at the very least, I don't think there's much separation between him and Pringle, and Robinson. Is that bad news for the Chiefs and Hardman? Yeah, probably. But who knows? Maybe he'll break out the rest of the way. I'm just a little bullish on the fact that it wasn't just a bad performance in the sense of, I mean, very limited performance, but it was also just telling with how the Chiefs used him. The last Monday overreaction here, the Chiefs will be in the top quarter of the NFL in rush yards per attempt. Now, this doesn't sound like that crazy of an overreaction. They were 11th last year, which averaged about four and a half yards per attempt. Now, I don't want to view this as total yards because the Chiefs are going to just pass it more, as they should. You have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. And I don't want to use it as like rushing touchdowns either. Again, same thing as before. But if you look at it as yards per attempt, how can you be the most efficient run offense possible to pair with what your passing game does? Because you don't want to take it out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, but when you do run the ball, to give more balance potentially or whatever you need to do. You want it to be as strong of a unit as it can be. And we saw the new offensive line play pretty well. Well, they only averaged four and a half yards per carry. I shouldn't say only. That's solid. That was 11th in the NFL last year. 2019, though, it was only 4.2. That's 20th. You have to go back to 2018, the last time that they had a top quarter of the league offense by rushing in yards per attempt. And if you also correlated it. Now, obviously, there's more to it than this, but 2018 was the best Chiefs offense, just statistically, under Patrick Mahomes, right? It helped to have Kareem Hunt. And 
that's not going to be plan one or two of the offense, but it's, you know, it's a nice feature to have as well. So typically to be a top quarter half or a quarter uh, offense by rushing in the league, you have to average 4.7 yards per carry. I think that's possible. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he should be ready or, or better in year two. Offensive line is going to be the top reason why. They opened up some big holes. You saw the big 10-yard run as part of the first drive for the Chiefs. Trey Smith looked really good at right guard. You were bringing in a lot of offensive linemen, but quarterback didn't get knocked over. You created some running lanes. It's not going to be the first option. They're not going to do it a ton, but certainly I believe that the Chiefs are going to be one of the top quarter offenses in the NFL by rushing yards per attempt. And then you add in the fact that they should be one of the best, if not the best, passing offenses. Maybe we're a little closer to the 2018 way of looking at things. Just hope for a better defense than maybe last year, the year before, where the offense was still one of the best in the NFL, but statistically you weren't the best. That's your Monday overreactions to what we saw in the NFL over the weekend. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go.